welcome to the Mopreville Monthly. As always, there will be spoilers here. I'm your host, MapleStrip, and today I am joined by Penny. Hello, I'm Penny Manning, host of the Weird Sisters podcast, a source for Discworld discussion. Happy to be here today. Honestly, really happy to have an, uh, another podcast host on the show. That's yeah. fun. I yeah. did watch. Uh, I did listen to three episodes of uh, your Weird Sisters podcast, so ah. uh, I had a good time of it. But I haven't read all that many Discworld books yet, so I would feel bad uh, spoiling myself with it. Yeah. Oh, for those who aren't familiar with the Discworld series, if you've read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it's oh, yeah. like that, but more fantasy. Yeah. It's very similar in style, even though it's like two different authors. Have Douglas Adams and uh, Terry Pritchett ever met? Because that would be an amazing collaboration. I believe so, yeah. I should look that up at some point. But of course, we're here to talk not about Discworld, though maybe we'll do an episode about Discworld and Elkin Shive at some point, because you did mention that there's some interesting parallels or overlaps or something. Yeah, I was looking into it less than I thought, but you know... Mm. I'll probably discuss that on the server or something. Yeah, sure. If you want to talk about Discworld, you can always uh, join the Elginishite Discord server because we love talking about all sorts of things. <laughs> but the main topic is, of course, Elginishite. Um, when did you start reading Elginishite? Let's see. I started... Oh, let's see. Probably around uh, 2010 at the latest... I can distinctly remember, like, while I was binging through the archives at one point, the page I that was on for a while was Diane figuring out that Ellen and Grace were new to Moperville South. Do you remember that one? Oh, yeah, of course. That would be uh, just could... before Sister 2, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> that feels pretty early for me. The art style, which has gone through like a couple iterations, mm. was more or less on its current form. But yeah. Wow. So, sorry, I'm just thinking about how much has happened in the past ten years in Okunashi, despite the fact that it sometimes feels like it goes very slowly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you caught up around Squirrel in the Classroom. That's just the yes, name exactly. Hmm. Oh, that's great. How did you find Elkenishive? How did you run into it? Uh, well, being a trans woman, my first introduction to that whole concept was not, like, actual trans stuff. It was, for lack of a better term, fetish material. Yeah. And Elkenishive kind of falls into that category. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. And in a way, like, you are very likely to run into it if you uh, if you're browsing de deviant art for like transgender transformations and stuff like that mm -hmm. and eventually you'd run into something like Elgunashive as well yeah I remember yeah. running into it on uh, TV tropes as I was just looking into this those ideas just transformations and stuff yep but how did you feel about it because I remember uh, the first time I read into Elgunashive I was like oh this is just a big story I don't care. I don't care about any of these characters. I just want to see them transform. <laughs> I mean, I enjoyed it. I did, like, primarily want to see transformations and things. But mm. also just, like, the characters are super cute. And that uh, was pretty much on the tail end of Nanase and Ellen just, like, not yet being together. And... Yeah. I'm also a lesbian, and so just, like, yearning is our, like, currency. <laughs> that's our national yeah. anthem. Oh, that's that makes sense. The yuri is very strong, especially <laughs> if you read the NP as well, just those two. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, yearning, like, pining. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I, I yeah. understood you. <laughs> yes, but yeah. It's, uh, they, they, they yearns very uh, beautifully. Oh, actually, now I'm just thinking... Uh, Yearning Yuri seems like yeah. just like that's a subgenre, definitely. That feels like well, that feels like a title of something that should exist. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like a webcomic title. Mm -hmm. Might read it, or maybe a podcast talking about Yuri manga. Oh yeah, definitely. But that's not the podcast we're currently on, so we should probably get back to it. <laughs> yeah, but you should be creating that podcast. Just uh, just saying. <laughs> Alright, so I think you brought me on to talk about the Death Sentence story arc, right? Yeah, 
we're going into dev sentence in a minute. The first thing I do want to talk about is the recent updates. I'd like to mm. get those out of the way. Yes, yes. So right now we're looking at, uh, and I haven't typed this all out for some reason, so I have to do it by memory. <laughs> we're looking at Ashley trading with Kevin. Yeah. Kevin is interesting. It's like, actually being a teacher seems to be, like, he seems to be really good. Or they seem to be mm. really good. I don't really think that gender applies to sentient magic wands. Well, I, I have no idea. Although, I, yeah. Have people been using pronouns for Kevin at all? I mean, the name Kevin implies... It's, it's very like, mask, yeah. Yeah, but like... <laughs> but he's indeed a very good teacher, you're right. Yeah. yeah um, I also find it very funny. I find it that Dan is really good at drawing him in a very expressive way. Yeah. Even though he's literally a straight stick that doesn't bend. <laughs> I think not letting Kevin bend was an interesting decision from an artistic perspective. Yeah. And somehow it still works. But yeah, we're on part six of Balance, and this whole storyline has been very interesting. A little scattershot from my point of view but like i'm assuming it's all going to lead together into something yeah especially this latest thing feels very unrelated to the previous uh, to what we're building up to right now which is the griffiths thing hmm. so suddenly we're looking at uh, ashley's lessons and it seems very unrelated to what we were just building up to although being magically trained is probably something that will come up during the conversation with the Griffins, because they, I think, come from their half of the world where magic is like more prevalent and is trained more heavily. Sure, but it's not like Ashley will be here. Grace, I guess, but I don't think it's really going to come up. Possibly not. We'll see. I feel like it's more likely that it's being done now is because Dan is keeping it chronological right now. And this is just what happens to happen right now, and it's very important still. Although the whole thing with balance so far has been that it's jumping around in time. That's why he's... Yeah, a few, a few months ago it was jumping around a lot, but people were complaining that it's too confusing, so... <laughs> so it goes. Then I was like, oh, in that case, I guess I'll do it chronologically from now on. And for the most part, that worked at that point. But I think this is kind of weird. Mm. It's still very fun to watch, though, so I'm not complaining. And it's good to know that uh, Grace will be there to talk to the Griffins. Absolutely. How do you think that will run, turn out? I think it'll probably turn out better than it did in Death Sentence. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I hope so. I hope they don't need to shoot a Griffin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, <sighs> I, I'm, I'm worried that the Griffins will respond very negatively to uh, Sayunulu. Yeah, the way... To, the amount of time it's been since the introduction of the Griffins and the agreement to meet implies to me that either it's going to be hilariously anticlimactic or that it's been put off this long because it's the storyline is building up to something yeah. like big and disastrous. I feel like everything that can go wrong will go wrong. <laughs> Entirely possible. Uh, and lastly, I guess I want to ask you what you think of the NP arc right now, which I think is just full statement still. Yes, although at this point, the story has stopped being so much about uh, Grace's trying to be an Elcor and more like <laughs> volleyball. Has everyone here played Mass Effect? I mean, I have. <laughs> I'm just the only one who hasn't played it yet, huh? <laughs> uh I enjoy it. It's not like required oh, I need to reading. Try it out sometime. <laughs> Just funny yeah. that uh, everyone knows about the character, the alien species. But yeah, Grace playing volleyball. Yes, that was fun and very funny to watch. And I'm looking forward to how the story is just going in a random direction now with her go to the nurse's office. Yeah, <laughs> I wonder playing around with what her strength is and all that. Yeah, because it's always been a little bit ambiguous the actual strength of most characters who are considered strong mm -hmm. like grace especially because she has shape-shifting powers yes and we already kind of knew that her physical strength depended on her muscle mass but we were never sure to what to which degree that's the case 
And apparently she doesn't really know either, even though she's lifted the car at some point. It is a difficult thing to measure, because she can finely tune her appearance, but like with that she can double-check it in like just a mirror before figuring mm. anything out. And strength is a lot harder to gauge accurately. Well, something like weightlifting would help for that, right? True, definitely. But also there's, I think, elements of stuff like uh, posture and also just... Mm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that much about muscles, <laughs> actually. Yeah. That's a good thing she trains at a martial arts dojo. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, the main subject of the episode is Death Sentence. Uh, an arc that read in 2012-2013, if uh, I remember correctly. I have it up. The first comic of it was Monday, October 24th, 2011. 2011, yes. I had just entered college. I was one month into college. I was um, 16 at the time. Wow. <laughs> I was not yet reading webcomics, uh, other than Science and Happiness, maybe. But yeah, the first page is very... It features Rhoda, who is extremely cute. She's always been one of the cutest designed characters. Yeah. Uh, just instantly as you see Rhoda in that arc, I'm already happy to see her. For some reason, I just always enjoy seeing her. I'm not sure what she was doing in that in those woods, if she, I'm being honest. Uh, she was taking photos, presumably for a photography class the same as Catalina, whom she... Yeah, but they yeah. go to different schools. So do they just happen to both have photography classes? Maybe, or maybe Rhoda just has photography as a hobby. That seems like a cool hobby. We don't actually know all that much about Rhoda, funnily enough. Yeah. Despite how... Even though she's yeah. a fan favorite. Yeah. And also, despite how prominently she's featured in the narrative, it's rarely delving too deep into like her personal history or anything. Mainly because yeah. she's more a, a supporting character, but still. Mm -hmm. Well, she is becoming more important, especially as she as her power level is becoming very relevant. Yes. <laughs> the fun thing about the start of this arc is that uh, quickly Catalina will show up. Yes. And according to the commentary, as soon as Catalina showed up on screen, uh, the shippers were already getting active. I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> People were already... I'm not sure when the popular ship of Rhoda Catalina became a thing, but apparently it was uh, no later than this page. Well, I think also just that uh, Rhoda was compared to a puppy, like ages and ages ago before this, right? Mm. So with Catalina being very cat-esque, then just that's a pretty simple train of thought even before they meet. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And also they have this contrasting personality thing going on, you know? Mm-hmm. Red only, blue only. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we got, uh, for some mysterious reason, a boar just grew. How could that be? Mm. If only this arc explains it. Yeah, I guess it will remain a mystery. I think a lot of people guessed it. I'm pretty sure the first time I read through it, I just didn't pay enough attention to care too much what the reason was for the big bore, but yeah, I don't remember really. <laughs> I figured that if it was going to be relevant, it would come up within the actual comic. Yeah, but that was a, a cool reveal that the bore was just uh, grown by Rhoda like that. Yeah. And the way they scared off with the photography flashes. Yes, very creative use of what they have handy. Hmm? They're clever kids. One thing I like about this arc is that Dan really got the opportunity to info dump at us about what boars are like and how you, <laughs> how hunters deal with boars and stuff like that. Yeah. Feral, feral hogs. <laughs> yeah. There's twenty to thirty feral hogs. Yep. Yes, now, Playing in the yard. Yeah, now that meme has been referenced, we can all move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, one thing before we move too far on from Rita, uh this hmm. being her canonically old look, but to the reader, her new look, like this uh, style of hers debuted in a sketchbook comic that was like her in a pile of fan letters. And I was just like, who is that character? Because <sighs> I don't think her ponytail or gla glasses or anything had been featured in an actual story. I remember the first time 
that this design was shown, and it was before this moment, I think. Oh no, yeah. Uh, I think it was in New and Old Flames. Yes, when after she had when been. When she met Justin in the talk. Yes, like because after the last time she was on a TV interview, like she got hmm. like hounded by people asking her about Pandora. Yeah, that would be T minus Dark Allegiance. I'm pretty sure. Yes. I remember these arcs very well at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, of those two looks, which do you prefer? Um, I do like her current look more, I think, because I feel like uh, she got, gets more out of her shell, you know? She looks happier. At the start of this arc, she doesn't look very happy. Well, no, because she's still dealing with the repercussions of a bunch of weird stuff happening. And also, she's being attacked yeah. by a boar. Being attacked by a boar is not very good for your mental health, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Usually not physical health, either. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, I, I think she really got into her own, especially in recent arcs, so... And, you know, she's a character I really like. Yeah. Even though we know nothing about her, like her last name, for example. <laughs> She'll take up Catalina's last name eventually. They'll take each other's last names. <laughs> oh, great. It will be Rhoda, Bobcat, and Catalina. I'd say... No, uh, <laughs> I'm going to guess it's probably something like Canis. Or fi uh, or Fenrir. Something dog-esque. Definitely something dog-esque. But uh, Dan is getting a bit better with his naming schemes. Like, in NP, the character with the spiky hair that we've sometimes called, like, Kiki or Boba... Her name is Camille or something now? Or what was it? Like some kind of spiky plant, which was pretty cool. That's very that's uh, a bit more complex than Catalina Bobcat, I suppose. Camilla. Or, uh, Camellia. Camilla, yeah. So shall we go through the rest of the arc chronologically as we have kind of been started doing? Yeah. Or should we go through these questions? Okay, go chronologically. That seems fine. Uh, that's how I wrote up my notes. Hmm. So. Rhoda climbed into a tree, and then she fell down, and now they're lying on top of each other, and they're blushing, so that's adorable. Yes, a good meet-cute. <laughs> and it continues through the interview, as we see later. Yeah, the interview is going to be great. But first, we see Grace and Jeremy have a discussion. Yes, this whole little scene is useful because it reestablishes mm. both Jerry as a character and Grace's uh, zoolinguism. Zoolingualism, for anyone who might have forgotten about it, either of those. Is that a word? Zoolingual. It's the zoolingualism. It's the Doctor Doolittle ability, <laughs> the power to talk to animals. Does that word pop up in Doctor Doolittle? Probably. I, I'm not familiar with the like original. I, I assume <laughs> books. But yeah, it's that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it's a fairly common trope. I think. Probably the oldest mm. example, just checking here, is the uh, character of Melampus um, from Greek mythology, who got the power to talk to animals, or at least understand what they're saying, because he was sleeping on the ground and a couple of snakes went up and licked his ears. Wow, okay. You're doing your research. Like, I've never heard that story before, so that's pretty cool. I was big into Greek mythology as a kid. I just had to double check it for this. I think I vaguely remember the Catholic char character slash person Francis of Nassasi being able to speak to animals, yeah. but it's probably a very old trope in general. Yeah. Uh, also, one of Wonder Woman's lesser-known superpowers. I don't think... Oh, wow, yeah. okay. That I did not expect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in certain versions of her story, she was granted all of her abilities by the Greek gods, and that's the one she got from mm -hmm. Artemis. Cool. I know nothing about Wonder Woman, so... And also, <laughs> with how DC Comics are, like, her origin story and everything has changed so many times that who really even yeah. cares anymore? Just pick the versions you like. <laughs> it is a cool, different power, especially for, like, a superhero story. You see it show up in other stuff, like uh, Dungeon Dragons has a spell for it, of course. Um... And I think it's very common to have like dogs learn to talk for some reason, for whatever reason. Although in those cases, it's usually not the power of a human character, but something that was mm. granted to the dog. Yeah, exactly. 
either as an ability or through technological augmentation. And I think uh, Elkin and Shive, especially in this arc, plays with it in fun ways where the cats are very much cats, but they, but Grace manages to communicate with them and it's it, they're very stubborn, mostly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> have you met cats? They are kind of stubborn. Yes. Uh, my cat almost was lost today. I had to pick him up like half an hour ago. I had to look for him and shout his name on the streets. <laughs> this is not relevant at all, but I uh, wanted to mention but it. But your cat is safe now, right? My cat is safe now, so that's good. All right. Good. I needed that closure. <laughs> I did say almost. Yeah. He walked along with me to the snack bar. And he, I wasn't able to find him when I left the snack bar. Hmm. So I had to go home without him. Or else my food would have got a cold. Hmm. I mean, maybe I'm not a very good uh, pet ever. I mean, monster. I, generally, I try to just not let cats be outside. Or at least not without like a leash. Hmm. That's probably a good idea. Yeah. I don't think Jeremy ever comes outside to make it about how Shive again. <laughs> yes. Because otherwise people would be scared of him. Now, would they? Because I think that Jeremy was met by a number of other characters before now, none of whom reacted to him as being particularly unusual. Well, Ash- Ashley did. At least not for any Moperville natives. Yeah, I'll... that's true. Uh, Moperville natives usually don't care too much, though... In this arc, we do see Raven talk with Grace about it, and Raven is surprised that Grace isn't surprised about him, so... Yes, I was going to come back to that when we met Max, a.k.a. Mr. Fuzzball. I love love Fuzzball so much. Yeah. I guess if we're talking about it now, the implication to me... I had initially thought that Max and Jeremy were, like, from the same litter of spiny cats. Yeah. But... I had assumed that they would have gotten those respective cats when uh, Edward, Varys, and Raven were still, like, close. But the timeline, I think, might not make sense for that. Cause that would have... Well, I definitely think the cats are related in some way. Yes, absolutely. I the cats may be, like, ten years old, you know, so it might work. Or maybe they have longer than average lifespans. Who knows? It's a mystery. Yeah, I think that is something we have to table until we have more information. Yeah, we. this is actually a really good mystery now I think of it, because <laughs> these cats have presumably been in Ted's life since uh, around the time Raven was around. Yeah, we just mm. don't have enough information to speculate further. Yeah, we don't. Yeah. Um, we see Ted following the news for some reason, and trying to take Grace's spot, because everyone wants Grace's spot, apparently. Yeah, well, I think Jeremy... Like, wants that spot specifically for reasons known best to Jeremy. Yeah. And then we see Catalina and Rhoda News, where they are adorable. We see, <laughs> um, what is the name of this guy? Parkley. Ranger Simpson. One of many times that Dan has referenced the Simpsons, I would guess. Yeah. I think uh, we could probably do an episode about the Simpsons at some point for how often <laughs> it comes up. Yeah. I would have to watch a lot more of it, though. I have watched a lot of it, but... Yeah. So, the first part of this interview is very cute. I'm not a huge fan of the second page. The way it's basically just a series of still shots of Ranger Simpson. I think the whole section could have been improved by including at least one cutaway shot of Raven also watching the news. Uh, I think that would have been confusing, because everyone would be like, why did we just see... I guess it would have been relevant. Yeah, because like I, th- I think Dan just wanted to draw Simpson as much as possible. Like, look at that mustache. Yeah, it's an impressive mustache. <laughs> and he has a pipe. I think those it, are. It's. I think those are legally mutton chops, because they seem to go into his sideburns as well. Yeah. Right now, I'm thinking about like how is this mustache slash mutton chops sideburn thing even working. It's a very impressive uh, facial feature. My assumption would be that he only shaves his chin. Hmm. Uh, but you're right, there's a lot of still shots. Um, it's mostly just Dan info-dumping about how boars work, which is also kind of a joy to read. Yeah. Well, mostly just really sad to read, because it's all bad stuff, but... Yeah. So the note I have for here and the next section, 
I believe it's important to be cognizant of the flaws in things that you love, and I do love Elgunish Shive. Mm-hmm. But the phone call and the TV interview together represent probably the biggest problem I have with the writing in that a lot of the dialogue feels, for lack of a better term, inefficient. Like, Oh, yeah. Both of these two sections right around here, this one and the one directly afterwards, feels like maybe 60% the stuff that the characters actually need to say to move the plot forward. Uh, 30% things that Dan wanted to clarify probably out of frustration with other stories that leave a little bit too much up to the audience to interpret and also just like 10 percent just filler to make sure that like the punchiest line it happens at the end yeah i think that happens quite often yeah yeah. and uh, i definitely see where the criticism falls because this this kind of thing is also the issue with uh, more recent arcs like Especially when Dan feels like he needs to be as clear as possible about everything, because otherwise people will be left a bit confused. Yeah. And to be fair, a lot of people would be confused, and I do respect him for that. I'm just pointing out how it a little bit interferes with the pacing, a little bit. Because, like, I think the Mm -hmm. whole TV interview thing could have been one or two pages instead of three I think one thing I do do is I just glaze over a lot of these, these yeah, texts same. when I'm usually reading them without reading too much into them. And then I really enjoy going back to them and seeing all the little details that Dan sprinkles in. Yeah, like the bit about the Chihuahua, I had completely missed the first time I read this arc. Yeah, um, there was something about Chihuahua. I remember uh, this, but I've already forgotten. Here, I'll, I can read it out for you <laughs> if you like. Want me to do a voice for uh, Ranger Simpson? Oh, yes, please do. All right. No. Don't get me wrong. The evidence we found suggests a big hog, but not that big. No way it's taller than a four-foot girl. I'm actually five feet. Not that I'm calling them smelly liars. I was once chased by an angry chihuahua no bigger than my foot, but I would have sworn at the time it was bigger than a Great Dane. It really is that big in my nightmares. Oh, it's such a good... Like, come on, yeah. how can you not love that? No, I do. It's just like... There's so <laughs> there's just so much text on a page that I sometimes miss stuff yeah. like that. It's true. I have the exact same problem. Especially, like, the first time I read through this, I was like, oh my god, there's a lot of stuff and I don't care too much yet. Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's a mixed bag, but I think that's very important about Elk and Shive in general. Yeah. So. But I think the end result of the interview section is that Grace feels bad that the boar is going to be killed, and she doesn't recognize anything that she can do to stop that from happening. Which is a mood, I suppose. But that leads directly into the phone call that Edward Varys gets from Raven that evening. Which was very convenient, wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Like, I guess the big question that kind of, like, makes the whole arc seem a bit wobbly is why is Raven calling Edward here? Um, Presumably because... I guess Edward is probably his only connection to the FBI. Yeah, that's fair. And therefore law enforcement, magical law enforcement. Yeah. It does feel, I have to agree, it does feel weird that uh, these two are talking about this specific subject. Yeah, I think it does get explained a little bit more later when uh, Raven and Grace are talking. But it seemed yeah. odd at the time. We're going to talk about that because that's really interesting. Uh, Raven's motivation and all that. Yeah. Oh, and we do get to see Grace's full squirrel form, which is pretty rare, especially in these days. Yeah. She does look very good. That's a well-designed form. It's definitely a lot better than her early squirrel forms. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the art style has incredibly improved over the past 20 years. Mm. But this phone call is indeed uh, very long. Yes. If I glaze over it right now. Yeah, like just skimming it. I bet you you could trim, you could find a version that would be trimmed down by about like probably a third and still have about as much information and emotional weight. Mm. Definitely, I think the strongest moment in the whole scene is right at the end when Raven apologizes for not being a better teacher. And like, there's so much buried in there that we don't find out too much about until later. But he's also apologizing for the way that Edward and Noriko ended up. 
And it also just works visually as a page with a lot less text on it. Which puts a lot of weight on the contrast with the last few pages. Yeah. Raven just standing in his room, silent, looking off into the distance. Yeah, and then Grace standing silently herself, also looking down. But whereas Raven is depicted like from a wide shot, Grace is a lot more close in because we're more privy to her mm. like thought process and inner world, especially when at the end of that page, she resolves that they're going to save everyone. Yeah, everyone is such an interesting thing to say here too, by the way. What does she mean with everyone? Well, I mean, she meets the hunters and the boar, but... Yeah. It also sounds like she could mean her friends and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, right. She's putting a lot of pressure on herself, and I think that's because she's recognizing that she has a lot of power, and therefore mm. a lot of responsibility, like Spider-Man says. She probably feels like she has to do something with her power. And she just isn't entirely sure what to do with yeah, it. But it. Which is why this arc is so interesting, because she gets to well, experiment what she can actually do with her abilities. And, of course, in this case, it doesn't work out very well, but... Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah. We're going to school. We're seeing Rhoda again. Yes, and... Ro Rhoda is a sweetheart. Yeah, absolutely. And also, Diane, being protective of her is so great. I absolutely... Mm. And, like, later on, I absolutely love Grace's note to Raven. She's... <laughs> Not the last time we'll see her just leaving notes and then getting immediately called back to clarify. She did this relatively recently with, uh, Arthur, uh, sorry, with Edward, so, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there's going to be a third beat to that joke at some point. Oh, it's definitely going to come up again, but maybe in ten years. <laughs> Who can say? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I put money on before the next, before five years from now, before the twenty fifth anniversary. That's possible. That's possible. But it's also just a, a great visual with Graven looking at the notes and being like, "Grace, how dare you put this on my table?" He did not ask for this autopsy report to be updated. <sighs> Making a joke about from his original appearance, people comparing him to Edgeworth. Oh yeah. <laughs> I also love this moment where uh, Grace, uh, where Raven drags Grace into a classroom and then Raven has to push out two of these girls just hanging around standing there. And those girls are talking about dating and Raven actually gives good dating advice randomly. It's such a weird joke and it's really funny <laughs> and it really works with Dan's writing style as we were talking about how he has a habit of writing a lot, of yeah, writing a lot really and sprinkling in really funny tidbits here and there. Yeah, the dialogue can be really efficient when it wants to be. Mm. But yeah, Raven does end up agreeing, which is, like, fun. Yep. Which is not really how I would have expected that conversation to go, like, if pretty much anyone else was involved. But, you know, Grace has plus five to charisma. True. Like, if this were a tabletop role-playing game, I would totally believe Grace being able to convince anyone of a lot of stuff. Yeah, but she's not good at lying, which is, I think, something we'll probably come back to in a minute, but something I appreciate. Yeah, because I think this arc has plays a lot with lying and trust. Mm -hmm. And it comes up here as well, by the way, if we just uh, go a few pages further. When Grace talks with Ellen about this meeting that she just had with Raven, Ellen mentions that this would mean that Raven would probably realized that Ellen also knows that Raven was the person who fought Abraham back in Sister 2. Wow, that's... That's a complicated sentence, a complicated but I, sentence. Figured, I I understand what you meant. So, like, uh, Ellen and Grace were trying to keep it secret that they knew that Raven was the person involved with the whole thing. Not to say two, I suppose. And even just by doing any little thing, Grace is revealing stuff that she doesn't want to reveal about her friends. Yeah, that's a big deal like 10 years from here in uh, Secret of Sam. It comes up in Secret of Sam a lot. It comes up in the current NP arc a lot. Grace is just constantly struggling with what kinds of secrets she can and can't share. Yeah, very true. 
And also, I think a lot of the other cast members are deal with a lot of stuff about True. like what secrets they are willing to share and what they want kept hidden. Like, yeah. Nase, it's like, a big theme in the entire webcomic. Yeah. And apparently, it's, uh, I did, never realized that it was already coming up here. It felt like a recent addition to the webcomic, other than, uh, other than the Ellen Nanase thing from Night Out back at the start. Very true. Where it was also about uh, forcing Nanase to come out and all the secrets everyone were learning. Uh, this has always been something that Dan has uh, thought a lot about and written a lot about. And I think that does stem a lot from just normal social interaction but i think there's definitely some influence of just like how especially drama television works with a lot of people just like mm. having secrets or just stuff they're not comfortable sharing for dramatic effect whereas i think it's more common that people just forget to tell each other stuff <laughs> yeah which also happens in how gonna sometimes by the yeah, way true <laughs> But yeah, here they also talk about uh, why Grace thinks that this will be fine. Because uh, I can fly and he's a magic man. Yeah. So uh, Ellen is not concerned. Yeah. <laughs> the same page is also more Grace and Ellen hugging, which is, leads to a bit in the current <gasps> NP arc. Oh, Grace and Ellen hugging is uh, very important. Yes, they're very good. You can really see these two... Ah, my chair is breaking. You can really see these two... Uh, just stick together a lot in school in this arc, which is fun. Yeah. A nice continuation of what we know about them. Yep. They're besties and sisters from certain perspectives. Uh, how are they sisters again? Uh, Grace uh, decided to adopt her, Ellen as a sister the way that Grace does with a number of people. Okay. Because I could imagine Grace being like the mother of Ellen because, you know, Grace is Ted's girlfriend and Ted is in a way a parental figure to Ellen because she created the gun. Yeah. Although then I think Grace would be <laughs> Ellen's stepmom. Grace is Ellen's stepmom. Great. Canon. <laughs> but okay, jokes aside, we see uh, Grace sneaking out of the Ferris household, kind of lying to Ted. Yeah. In the, the funniest, in one of the funniest scenes in yeah. the arc. Like, I can't see him. You know, I was worried that this would be a very downer, this entire arc, but there's so many good jokes in here. Yeah. It's like, Elgunashev, EGS has always sort of oscillated back and forth between silly and serious. Like, mm -hmm. remember back during Painted Black, Dr. Squirrelcart, or however you pronounce that name, mentioned that the reason they created animal-themed assassins was because they needed a unique gimmick to stand out in a crowded assassin market. <laughs> and that was... <laughs> yeah, it's And true. that was the arc that... That doesn't was... even feel yeah. like an EGS joke. <laughs> yeah, and that was the arc where also they discussed uh, Damien planning to sexually assault Grace. So, you know, ups and downs. <sighs> in mood. It, that arc also has, like, Elliot's kind of choking around while he's being tortured, so... But that arc is generally just really weird with its tone. This arc is a lot more consistent, where when the stakes are low, they're just very funny, but once the stakes get higher, things get serious. Yeah. And it's also, like, social stakes, so, like, when Raven gets real about how his relationship with Ted and Edward is, stuff gets more serious. Yeah. And it works very well. Speaking of Raven, the next bit is him talking with Noah, which is a very fun little scene. Yes, it's very precious. I enjoy how Noah, falling out of his chair, he manages to like turn 180 <laughs> degrees so that he lands head first from a sitting position. There's... Noah is such a fun character, and I can't wait to see more of yeah. him. I'm... He's so funny, so precious, yeah. so kind. So, so very pretty. Formal, uh, polite. That's the word I was looking for. Also, I have think, small amounts of theory on Noah, mainly that I think that he's some sort of magic royalty. But like, I don't think we'll be able to say anything more on that until we understand more about like magical heritage Ma stuff, presumably from the Griffins. 
magical royalty in the same way that's not a say is. I think more like actual royalty, considering the way that Noah's yeah. introduction was with that whole crazy elaborate gothic font, which he then tapped to turn <laughs> into just normal lettering. I, I, I like this headcanon as much as uh, any other. It sounds like a fun yeah. one. I think generally people are concluding that Noah is probably also part Uriam. Yeah, possibly. Oh, also because Noah knighted Raven, he mentioned at one point, and you need to be yeah. a monarch yeah, but... to do that. <laughs> yeah, Raven did say that he was not, he did not have the right to knight someone. Yeah. Noah is generally a pretty uh, off the walls weird character. He says a lot of stuff that doesn't make much sense. It might slightly make more sense if he were royalty, but I don't Actually, know. then that just put something into my head just now. What if Noah is like a refugee from the other half of the world, same as the Griffins are from? Sure, it's possible. I'm... All we know is that his parents were killed by Damien, I'm pretty yeah. sure. But other than that, we have no clue. Yeah, you know, it's like, I'm basing that on l almost nothing, so, you know, just like... Yeah, <laughs> I like the I like the yeah. idea. Wild sure. guessing, but yeah, we get another huge shout and leading to this Orium in space in this panel. <sighs> yeah, it's very important to mention it. Yes, in a, <laughs> in a knife fight with a space shark. So you know, standard EGS background stuff. More confirmation of where Moperville is located, I suppose. <laughs> yep, it looks like. It's somewhere around the Great Lakes area of North America. Yeah, it's based on Naperville, so which mm, is near mm -hmm. Chicago. Basically a Chicago yeah. suburb, just a bit further away. Neat. I did not know about that, but yeah, that yeah. makes sense. I, I'm pretty sure uh, that's where Dan grew up and where Dan high, Dan's high school was located. Oh, and the Noah and Raven scene does also confirm that Noah's feelings on grace are very positive because like we the first time we actually saw anything of noah i think was at the end of painted black when mm. he was talking to his parents graves about damien being killed and i think it was a little bit like ambiguous how he felt about her but the fact that he wants to give her back rubs i think uh, indicates mm -hmm. that he's got some sort of hero worship thing going on yeah which of course becomes very wait actually um New and Old Flames, we already saw that it was very hero-worshipy. Yes, that's how he found out <laughs> that Grace was shade yeah. tail. In that, in that arc, we even see him visualize Grace as like an angel, which was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it's just really fun to watch him be very cheerful about Grace's... Just about Grace in general. I want to see these two meet each other again. Yeah, that'd be fun. And I think it'll have to wait a little longer. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of other stuff going on right now, but uh, I mean, I'd always be happy to see these two meet each other for whatever reason. Uh, besides, you know, being classmates sometimes, I guess. Yeah. Uh, one more thing before we get into the Raven Grace conversation. Mm -hmm. We have these, I assume they're photographs of, of the Varus family here, which I... is very hard to see. Or, well, it's a photograph of Noriko, Edwards, and Raven. I think we see another photograph of, like, a cat, but it doesn't... Oh, it does look like it could be Max or Jeremy. Maybe, yeah. No clue what the third photograph is, though, the one in the middle. Hmm. It looks like some person holding what I would assume to be a cup. Hmm. But looks like that person might be bald or, like, maybe blonde. So My different. first idea right now is Arthur, but I'm not sure how much sense that makes. Yeah, I don't think Raven would keep a photo of Arthur in his house, since he mentioned during the phone call that Arthur tried to, to deport him. <laughs> oh my god, I love that line. That's one of the beautiful examples of hilarious thing that just gets sprinkled in by Dan's writing style. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who the third picture, third person is. I do like how in the next page those three photographs are removed. Assume, presumably so Grace wouldn't notice that Edward has a picture of the Ferris family in, a, in his house. Oh yeah, you're totally right. That's a good, like, good catch. 
It was something I uh, I thought of because, of course, if Grace saw that, he would be like, hmm, that actually kind of looks like Edward. If that photo was taken when they were teens, Edward wouldn't probably wouldn't have the mustache, and I think he would be unrecognizable at that point. <sighs> then again, he might look like Ted. Yeah? Oh my god. How androgynous would Edward look if he didn't have the mustache? <laughs> <laughs> That's why he has the mustache. Yeah, I think the only time we've seen him without a mustache was in that one sketchbook comic where oh, he yeah, was but... transformed. Yeah, he was turned into a girl. Woman. Yeah, whatever. Well, clearly I need to edit the podcast icon for this episode to have a mustache-less Edward. That's a good thing to know. Or you could make it be Raven reading the reading Grace's note, but the note is replaced with Moberville Monthly. That sounds like a lot of work. I could probably do that. I for love you. the idea. Oh, sure. I mean, I'm always happy to have like a, a weird icon. So Grace does arrive at Raven's house, and they start. Eventually, Raven gets a tour, basically, of Grace's powers. Yeah. Yeah. My only note with this scene is that if Grace... W- well, she, my first note with this scene is that if Grace was a slightly different kind of person, she would, when she went behind that couch to transform, she would probably have done that whole mime routine of like percent, pretending to be like walking down a set of stairs. <laughs> 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 That's such a dumb thing to say. I love it. <laughs> also, <laughs> also, who sets up a couch like two feet away from a wall, especially when there doesn't seem to be any reason why you would need to walk behind it? <laughs> That's also I, a very good question. Like, there's not a coffee think, table or anything in there. Uh, hmm. Wow. This, Hard, no, I think actually, this is the only plot hole in the entire, the entire webcomic. You oh, found no. a plot hole. Congrats. You know, you know <laughs> what? There's some sort of like shape, so that could be a coffee table or a rug. Its details are unclear. But my guess is that uh, Grace just kind of pushed it forwards a bit. Yeah. Actually, no, it looks like it's some sort of Ottoman footrest thing. So, I, I rescind my previous statement. <laughs> what I found funny is that she hides behind the couch first to transform, probably so her clothes would, would land there. Yeah. And then she just forgets to go back, back there to transform back. Yeah, no, she specifically says, uh, oh darn, this is why I ducked behind the sofa in the first place. It's uh, a very silly mistake. I'm not sure how much sense it makes, but yeah. sure. <laughs> it's yeah. funny. I think it fits with what has been established of Grace's perspective on nudity, mm. which I think was probably like originally just for titillation, but also is part of her character. And... Mm. Like, it is something that Dan takes very seriously, so... Yeah. And, like, and, uh, there's a ver- characters have a variety of perspectives on that, so... Hmm. It's interesting. Uh, we don't really need to know much more about Edward's... Uh, about Raven's perspective, other than the fact that he, uh, you know, diverts his case instantly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, although we do know that Raven is attracted to women. Or, like, we assume so from the fact that yeah. he... He has at least two children. Yeah. So then after Grace reveals the, I think, the Omega form to Raven, he's very impressed with her magical aura. Which yeah, is... I love that thought thing. It's like, she killed Damien. She could kill 12 Damien's. Those 12 Damien's could merge into form one super Damien and she could kill that. That's such a great line. Now question, because I feel like just in terms of like strategic combat, one target is easier to fight generally than twelve. So would a like uh, uh, I think it's more like a Dragon Ball Z logic here, which is um, you can have like a million weaklings, but a single strong person can beat them all. Yeah, I guess then a uh, Duodecademian would have to be just like at least. 13 times as powerful as a regular Damien. Like, if you Kamehameha a person, and that person isn't very strong, you just kill that person instantly, but if the person is very strong, they can fight back. Yeah. So, something like that, I guess. Something. <laughs> but either way, it's just very funny, and then, of course, Max shows up, and assuming Damien did, 
didn't do anything to startle her. Yeah. <laughs> it's so silly. Yeah, well, Grace, like, she has a lot of strength built into her from, like, her biology and like, mm. magic and everything. But also, she's, like, a traumatized young girl. And this is her character flaw, I suppose, that uh, is generally explored the most. Yeah. Her uh, pacifism, her inability to be assertive in general, though she does get as way better at assertiveness in a lot of ways. Yeah. As we see right here, because she just makes up her mind and does something. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of fear bubbling beneath the surface for Grace. Especially, mm. I think that became really clear for me personally during the Hammer Chlorians, uh, Chloridans yes. arc, when she just like went in guns blazing to uh, protect people from Jerry before evaluating that yeah. he was a threat. She came in later than she wanted to, and she was terrified that she might be too late. That moment is very, uh, very strong. But yeah, again, there's a lot like, going on in that noggin of hers, most of which we do not, mm. do not get like the full details of. Yep. But she loves kitties. She loves kitties. Instead, we see her chatting with Mr. Fussball. His name is Max. Yeah, he says he's one of those two. That's such a great line. Nice. Such an interesting idea about how cats might deal with names. Yeah. And then she says to Max that, uh, that Raven is her teacher. Yeah. And so Max ten interprets that as hunting instructor. Yeah. Which, you know, th that is how cats would interpret that. Oh, that's also kind of how language would work, you know? Sometimes yeah. you play around with, like, Star Trek-esque translators. But a cat wouldn't have a word for teacher other than hunting teacher. Yeah. It is also interesting because that's some something like that has to be going on with Grace, right? Because she talks in English, people can understand her, mm. but so can animals who wouldn't have like any sort of grasp of the English language. So presumably, Grace has some sort of tele telepathy thing going on there. Yes, I think it's fully telepathic. I'm pretty sure I, rem I don't remember when it was confirmed though. But yeah. I she can't. Uh, well, she can't communicate unless she has her antenna out. So it has to yeah. be telepathic. Psychic powers. But then the question kind of becomes like, how does this telepathic link simplify the language in a way that the cat would be able to comprehend it without it being like Lovecraftian horror to them? <laughs> I think it just communicates the intent and meaning behind the words directly without actually even bothering with translating word for word. I guess, something like that. I'm really interested in how language works in this way. Yeah, same. Linguistics mm. is fascinating. The fact that she talks and thinks at them at the same time is interesting, and there's a lot of ways to interpret that, I guess. Yeah. And that's also why Skeptic, why Dan never translates the animal talk directly. Yep. Except back in Squirrel Diplomacy. No, no, Squirrel Diplomacy didn't do that either. I don't think it did it particular. I don't remember very well, but yeah. <laughs> Squirrel Diplomacy is, of course, the most important arc of them all. But, yes. Uh, it's going to turn out to be... We don't talk about it very often. Yeah. It's going to be the linchpin of the final arc. Just you wait and see. <laughs> Lord Ted will be taken down by squirrels. Just like Emrakul. That's a Magic the Gathering joke for those who are unaware. Well, uh, another thing I know very little of. <laughs> yeah. There's, like, don't worry about it. I know Dan is a big fan, though, so uh, I'm sure it will come up more often. Yeah, the joke <laughs> is that just the way that like creatures work, Emrakul, who's this like eldritch horror alien monstrosity, this like the size of a small moon, could in the gameplay mechanics be defeated in combat by fifteen squirrels. Huh. But anyway. The next bit is about the two characters, like Grace and Raven, discussing their respective motivations for why they want to save the boar and the hunters. Largely yeah. the hunters just as a result of saving the boar. Yeah, they, and, they don't talk a lot about saving the hunters, but it's clearly just something that's in their mind as well. Yeah. I like that Raven asks if Grace is a vegetarian or a vegan, and Grace says no, and I'm like... Hmm, I wonder if she would be interested in being a vegetarian. 
Yeah, possibly. She seems like the kind of character who would be. Yeah, and like, but, uh, I imagine yeah. it's difficult to eat something that you can you think about having a conversation with. <laughs> yeah, I'd imagine so. So yeah. that, that, as far she might not have felt like she had much of a choice. But, but it just depends on whether Dan wants to make that a thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Grace is just a hippie, so that's fine. Yeah. The bigger question is, why does Raven want to... Uh, why does Raven care? Yeah, I think that's ultimately been discussed a little bit in some of his conversations with Abraham and Pandora, is that he seems to feel powerless, and so mm. it's like is searching for agency more than anything. I think that's why he's also surrounded himself with powerful individuals and positioned himself largely as a mentor figure to them is because he craves some measure of autonomy in the world. I think that's a really great insight in this context because he doesn't talk about that here at all. Yeah. But that's definitely something that must be happening here as well, yeah. Yeah. And also, he does explicitly say that he empathizes with the boar because... Yeah he's kind of in a similar situation of just not having anywhere that he belongs. Hmm. Which I think is a very powerful beat, and I like that it gets like a silence panel on this page. Yeah. And also that page, when he talks about, basically just him using the word logical, and in the same page, refusing a hug, like, vehemently, <laughs> like, that definitely highlights his clear relationship to Susan which at this point I is never... still left unconfirmed but I... I never thought about that because he just looks very Vulcan to me he does <laughs> with his ears and all that and the black hair yeah which I mean I guess black hair is technically not a Vulcan character trait but it's common and it's just Spock I guess he looks very much like Spock <laughs> yeah I mean uh, there was a bunch of other Vulcan characters who had black hair but yeah. Yeah, I'm watching Enterprise right now, and the Vulcan there has brown hair. I'm pretty sure. So. Yeah. I'm so sorry that you're watching Enterprise. <laughs> oh, I have to watch it at some point. <laughs> yeah. I've never seen that. I, I've only seen like, basically parts of the original series and Next Gen, and mm. I've gleaned a fair amount of what happens in Voyager and Deep Space Nine just through like following a bunch of Trekkies on Tumblr and such. Well, uh, I can definitely recommend watching Deep Space Nine. I'll probably get I'll get to it eventually. There's so <laughs> much media to consume. So oh yeah, time. we're mentioning a lot of it in this episode, by the way, <laughs> just off the cuff. Yeah. But yeah, that uh, link with Susan, which is uh, very clearly set a bit later on in this arc, I think yeah. that is very interesting. Yeah, we do also get here something which I don't think was stated previously, which is a little more explanation of how magic works on animals, namely that they can't actually resist spells being cast on them, but they yeah. can instinctively just sort of starve it off. The mechanics that mm. underlie magic have never really been made clear in the comic, but then again, we don't exactly know how like gravity works either, so... yeah. In, in a way, yes. I'm not sure that we really need an explanation for it beyond assuming that Dan has at least like a basic idea of how it works. Well, we get a lot of insight in how magic works in a lot of ways, but this arc kind of discusses it in the most scientific way, where he talks about uh, specific tastes of magic, where he talks about the square cube law, uh, where he talks about the boar maybe becoming a reality of its own, which are all things that we haven't seen come up anywhere else. Yeah, that is a bit later, though. The next thing that happens chronologically is when Grace returns home to, from Raven's house, which is the page where we get just the cutaway gag to the Deathless Army of Rage. Ah, I love that Deathless Army of Rage so much. Yeah. Easily one of the best cutaway gags this comic has done so far, but also an interesting counterpoint to the main story arc, and especially Edward's like, reaction to the boar. Like it, the Deathless Army represents a threat that is magical in nature, violent in action, and resolvable through communication, 
What this implies to me is that Edward dismissed the idea of talking things out with the boar, not simply because it represents an immediate threat that other people have a way to handle, but because he just thinks of it as an animal and therefore outside of his purview. Um, yeah, I think, uh... I think this, I think mm. this is a character flaw we see a little bit explored as well in Balance, the way that Edward doesn't really understand Ted's gender stuff. Yeah. While being, like, a exceptionally capable diplomat is because he specializes basically he do, he understands a lot about a, the probably very broad but still kind of narrow field of just magical creature interactions but anything that's like real world outside of his preconceived notions he has a little bit he has a lot more difficulty grasping he is a and bureaucrat yeah. yeah through and through you know in an interesting way so it's interesting to see him indeed talk it out with the deathless army of rage while uh, ignoring the boar. And I'm not sure entirely how to interpret it. I mean, it's very easy to also interpret it as him realizing that the boar has nowhere to go. As we uh, talk about later on in this arc, of course. Yeah. Uh, I, I, when we are on this page anyway, we also get this gorgeous Ted form with animal ears and a very cute top and I love it very much. Yes. Standing on the Wii Fit thing. Oh, uh, I actually forgot to mention but uh, earlier on in this arc when we first see Ted in this arc we also get the first look at the power glove that he uses to store energy. Oh, is but that the first appearance of no, that? To, to make I... once actually, I'm pretty sure that one was. Yeah, he has I... two power gloves of course. In this universe, anyway, because obviously Lord Ted already had a mm. like, power glove of his own. Yeah, but that's the power glove. This is the wand-making glove that we see. Yeah, and I think that is interesting just because I feel like it was just sort of thrown in here as a reminder that the Lord Ted stuff is like still going to get resolved. That plotline has not yet been dropped. Well, it's a different glove, so I'm not sure how related to this. It is... Uh... Well, but during Ted's conversation with the magic whale thing, that one making mm. glove used, he used that no, to that's just the power like, get glove. his power. He did. He did. Okay. <laughs> but then I don't know what I'm talking about. Good day. <laughs> it's very confusing because he has two different gloves. <laughs> I'm I mean, pretty had... sure this was the wand making glove and not the power glove that stores his uh, magical energy that he can then use later on to see the whales. Yeah. Or in case of Lord Ted, be very powerful. I honestly did not realize that those were two separate gloves. It's very confusing. The other one is a gauntlet, actually. Yeah. Well, like I just figured that uh, <laughs> this same glove, ha like you could add additional Ted ha added additional <laughs> components to it to turn into yeah. the power glove. This is the kind of thing that Dan also does wrong, you know, <laughs> just making it very confusing. Yeah. Though it's also kind of fun to follow. Yeah. But it's like, it's not like Ted can have like one power glove and one power boot or something. Mm. It's like, make wands by kicking them. <laughs> one power boot. This is the power boot. <laughs> Sorry, that's very funny. <laughs> um. Oh, yeah. And also, sorry, I just completely skipped over. Raven realized, like... Like, even finding out that Grace and Ted are in a relationship and just being overwhelmed by guilt because he blames himself accurately or inaccurately, we don't yet know, for mm. Ted's parents breaking up. Yeah, which he actually talks about directly to Grace, too, I'm pretty sure, right? Yeah, when they get in the car later oh, on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. It's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. And also, it seems that raven can also talk to animals which is or at least he understands a little bit about like what max is thinking when max comes back with a toy mouse to teach grace to hunt and yeah this is raven. A very this is very clear just the distinction between raven and edwards where raven you know i mean he, he is a cat person i suppose he just really enjoys trying to communicate with his cats which i do as well yeah, as far as I'm aware, most, if not all, cat people do that. Yeah. Or cat owners, I should say. 
Well, I've never seen Edward do it. I've never seen him interact with his cat yeah, at all. I think all. Jeremy's more Ted's cat than Edward's. Yeah, I suppose. The same could have been the case for Max and Noah or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or I guess maybe and Jeremy was more Noriko's cat. And so that has... Oh, wow. Like, that would be fascinating. Edward. Yeah, and so Edward would probably have some complicated feelings around him. Hmm. Well, this is more headcanoning, but it's just generally nice to see Edward, uh, to see Raven. All these adults have sound the same to me. It's nice yeah. to see Raven uh, interact with his cat like this. It's very yes. cute. Max is very cute. Before we started recording this, we were talking about maybe splitting the episode up in two parts. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think... I think it might be a good idea. Like, I have a lot of notes about the next... Uh few bits and so i'm done to do that if you are well i guess we're gonna do that because i think we can still talk about it talk for another hour so if you yeah. want to hear us uh, finish this discussion about death sentence uh join us again next month this is gonna make it very easy for me because we only have to record one episode kind of <laughs> success yes <laughs> uh, all right see you then i'll do a very quick outro um that's a wrap is how I usually say it, but it's not actually a wrap yet. Uh, people can find me on my website, maplestrip.space, my Twitter tag, as maplestrip, this podcast and all podcasting apps. I might not be playing any music right now, but if I am, I'm playing Our Heroes by Sister Parish. Where can people find you on the internet? Well, you can find the podcast at uh, Weird Sisters Pod on Twitter, W-Y-R-D. Or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, a bunch of other places. Not Pandora, because you need to like sign a whole thing. But I've never even tried agree to do looking into yeah. Pandora, but other, all those other apps, yeah. Yeah, and my personal Twitter is at PB Manning. I am not active on there at all, but you know, give me a follow, I'll say hi. I'm going to give you a follow on there. Or say hi to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs>